Good morning, guys. You guys can grab a seat. All right, there's a few of us here. We just weren't sure. We didn't know what was going to happen, obviously, with this storm. You guys, how many have been through a hurricane before? Okay, here. All right, so we have learned kind of the hard way. I think with Charlie, nobody was ready for that one, and um, stuff was flying all over our neighborhoods. Um, that was crazy. But since then, we've had a number of them that we've gotten prepared for, and nothing's really happened. And so you just have to prepare. But um, in this case, it appears as if it may stay out in the water a little bit, but that can change at any minute. So we just have to, we had to be careful with that. So, um, hey, come on out here, Marianne. And it's her again, yes. And we undertook a huge, huge project a while ago. And this was something that um, was on our hearts for a long time to help out this family. Um, we had had um, a number of people over the, the last few years that had really <clears throat> communicated they wanted to help in some real practical ways. And finally, through, um, through some donations, I mean, just as a church banding together, um, we were able to step up and help in a really significant way with the Mikesell family in their home. And so Marianne was um, behind the scenes and in front of the scenes and involved big time with this. So she's going to kind of fill you guys in on what all happened, and many of you were there to experience it. So here you go. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hello. So back in December of 2018, take a journey with me. Um, the Mike Sale family approached some people in the church and they said, hey, I've got some health issues going on. I need some help around the house. Can we come together and do this? And we said, absolutely, we'd love to. So we went over to their house and we took an inventory of everything that needed to be done. There was flooring, there was black mold, there was water damage, there was all kinds of unsafe things for their children to be growing up in. So we came together, we got a list together, and we put it on the news. So on our Christmas service in December of 2018, we had Channel 6 come out, and we had another one come out to announce to the world that we were going together and rally behind this family in need. And we started a GoFundMe page. Also, while we were doing that, we... We started a meal train for them to provide for meals, and we said, we're going to come in, we're going to help remodel your home. So, yeah, there we go. So our first event was a current event, and that was for us to come together and pack up their home. And we got boxes and dumpsters, and we basically got everything out of their house, and we moved them into an Airbnb funded by us, while the construction was going on because we completely just gutted their home from, I mean, the ceilings, the walls, everything was taken out of their home. We installed new flooring, um, brand new windows, doors, baseboards, fixtures. We were able to come together and do some pretty amazing things. It was supposed to be just like a, like a quick little project, but the outreach and the outpour from the community was so overwhelming that they were able to help donate all of these materials. Completely remodeled bathrooms, rooms to go um, in Altamont, let Bethany go in and say, any furniture you want, you take it and we will give it to you. So we went in and do they donated a bunch of furniture. We delivered it to their home. Uh, we had, what else? There was a ministry here in Orlando and throughout, throughout the United States called Sleep in Heavenly Peace, and they donate beds and bunk beds and bedding materials for children. So we were able to get all new beds for all the kids. <laughs> so that was really fun. Uh, floor, floor to floor and door, they came in and gave us a really great discount on a brand new garage door and installed the, um, the mechanism for us. And 
this was one of our last television appearances while the house was about 75% complete. I'm trying to raise more awareness for the GoFundMe so people could donate. We ended up raising $12,835 for the GoFundMe. That was about 123 people giving. Plus, we had an anonymous donor give a $10,000 check to help out with the rest of the things. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. And then, uh, that's my dad. He came in. <laughs> He's not a believer, so you put him on your prayer list. That was a really cool thing to do. Um, he came in and helped finish up some odds and ends as a contractor. And then our last event that we held was in June. And we were able to unpack um, most of the stuff that was like on-site storage so they could move back into their home. Um, the next slide should be all of the businesses that donated time, effort, volunteer work. So we've got Jared Mellick from Renewal by Anderson, Universal Roofing and Contractors, Carrie Miller, Waste Management donated the, uh, the dumpster and refilled it for us, Nikki Cook from Floor and Door with the garage door opener, Price Busters Appliances, John Delia, they gave um, um, gently used um, washers, dryers, everything you can imagine for appliances. Then we have Rooms to Go that did all the furniture. Bill Carlton, he was the sleep in heavenly peace for the children's beds. Next slide. Unified Labored Solutions. Um, that's somebody here from our church. They came in and completely cleaned the house after all the construction dust and everything that was there. You can imagine how gross it could get with construction. GCB Tile and Services donated um, tile and paint and installed for nothing, basically. Uh, Beth Payen for Layer Virtual Communication. She was the lady that we contacted to get all of our news coverage. Rosa Rodriguez, a really lovely family brought to us by the Soderstroms. She did um, all the paint and coordinating all the labor. And Ron and Bob, they were able to donate their Airbnbs for pennies on the dollar for us so they could live in a really great place while their home was being remodeled. Um, Justin was the second person that did the Airbnb for us. Rick and Mia started the GoFundMe. And Roger and Marisol Soderstrom and their family for the outreach and just the get it done attitude that we needed to keep us all on track. And then my dad. <laughs> he was the last person to kind of come in there and do all that stuff. So thank you so much for the, helping us out in this project and hearing me ramble on. Um, I know we really didn't give a formal thank you. I know we sent out letters to all the businesses, but thank you for coming together and helping this family. I know it's, it's still a little bit of work to be done, um, and I'm gonna bring them out here and they wanna say thank you themselves. Hey, so, um you know, again, thank you. Um, I'm glad she did all that because I couldn't possibly remember everybody. Um, they asked for us to uh, give an update. So medically, the doctors, uh, uh, the doctors are saying the things that doctors say, and that's that. So, um, we're, <laughs> so we're going to listen to God, um, and things are going to be fine eventually. Um, the house, like uh, like she said, is mostly done. And we're, we're thankful there. Um, and there's so many people who just would just walk up and say, here, you know, here's, you know, here's $50, here's $100, you know, it'd help out. It would, like, slip it into our pockets and stuff. Um, just so many people I couldn't begin to, to uh, name them, um, presuming, presuming I could remember their names. Um, and... One thing I, I kind of noticed that during that time, um, this is just my observation, that like um, we had all these donations coming to us. And I noticed that the church donations kind of did the opposite. So, <laughs> so I think that means thank you to everybody who maybe were kind of torn which way to go. Um, just the thank you then, that's what I'm saying to the whole church, because um, I know a lot of you just gave a whole, you know, just gave a whole bunch and, and it, it really was amazing. Uh, amazing, and when I when I come home every day, when I come home, and every day when I wake up in the morning, I walk out into the house. It's just, it's just like a brand new house. But every day, I'm like, oh yes, 
you know, because it was a nightmare before. It really was. Um, just, just knocked, you know, knocked down walls and just made a whole new house, the inside and out, and it's just, again, every, just every time I come home, I'm like, oh, this is so much better, so much better, new furniture and stuff. And um, we're just so, you know, deeply uh, thankful for all of it. So, um, and uh, stay tuned. <laughs> okay, thank you. Great, thanks, guys. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just, you know, times like this are give me a sense of pride in a good way of how the church comes together, um, even when it's really difficult. Like, that was not easy at all. And there were a number of times when um, there were challenges, um, gosh, remodeling at any point is, is difficult, but, um, but it certainly pushed uh, a lot of us. And I think that is one of, the, one of the qualities that God calls us to, like when it comes to serving, oftentimes it is inconvenient and it's challenging and it's difficult. And there's way more that we signed up for. And so, you know, we see that sometimes, you know, they have those home shows and they'll tear out a wall and say, oh, my gosh, we didn't notice this was here. And that happens in our lives, too. When we start to really get involved in each other's lives, we realize, wow, there's a lot here. And it requires much more of our time and our energy and our love, and we need God's grace to serve in that way. And so that certainly is kind of a reflection of what um, God's called us to in each other's lives. So let's pray, and then we're going to get rolling into this this morning. God, thank you for the Mike Souls, um, for them even trusting us with their house to walk in and kind of tear it apart um, and rebuild. Lord, that's a great picture, really, of what you do in our lives, how you can come in and you can start to demo our, our lives, that you can um, make things maybe even messier initially, and then you start to clean up and you start to do your work, and we see you long-term and then we walk out and say, this is so much better. And so, God, we ask that with our own individual lives that we would give you that opportunity to remodel and restructure and change us from the inside out. Thank you for the opportunity to serve the Mikesels. Thank you for all those behind the scenes and there was blood, and there was sweat, and there were tears in doing this. And so, God, um, thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we were in week two of um, our new series, Living Counterculturally, and we discussed a number of subjects relating to our main premise, and that is that the beliefs, practices, art, music, and the intellectual progress of a, a given geographic area denotes culture. And for us, as Jesus followers, we can't ignore culture. Culture matters. And sadly, over, I would say, maybe the last 25, 30 years or so, Christians have earned this reputation. Um, I don't know if it's always we've earned it or we've been labeled this way, but we've kind of earned this of not being on the cutting edge or that Christians are trying to catch up or that we're simply naive or we're unaware of our surroundings. And that would include, like, our art our media, our music, our literature, you name it. However, last week we discussed how that has not always been the case. And I would argue that there are many Christians that are actually, as we speak, shaping culture 
as we experienced it. Now, when it comes to the church, kind of universal, I've noticed like over the years that for some Christians, it's easy to kind of um, rip on the church and or, or criticize the church for a number of things. And I think criticism and evaluation of ourselves is imperative, and I think that's important. But sometimes it's felt a little more to me like we have family members that are more interested in kind of pointing their fingers at other family members instead of being truly, like, instructive and helpful. Or some that feel like I'm a little more superior than others, and it comes across in that vein as opposed to, well, I'm really trying to help the church. And so when I've heard people criticize the church for whatever we're not doing in the arts or whatever, sometimes I ask myself, but wait, aren't, aren't you part of the church too? Like, what are you creating that's cutting edge and shaping the culture? I want to ask that question to them. And so I do think we need to evaluate ourselves for sure. And part of what we're going to talk about this morning and even this series is is us evaluating how are we engaging with culture. And so last week I started to move into discussing how over the centuries Christians have contributed so much. Like when it comes to the arts, music, science, medicine, I mean, it is incredible, really. It's incredible the history that Christians have, but that rarely gets talked about these days. In, in contemporary culture, like right now, Christians oftentimes, like in academia and other places, were kind of the butt of a lot of jokes. Um, it's encouraged and, and even applauded in some circles, if you slam Christians, it's kind of open season on Christians. However, for centuries, the Jesus followers were the ones who were leading the charge in the most influential disciplines. So last week, I mentioned a couple local culture shapers and how their faith in Jesus was driving them to live lives that are counter to the culture and how they're having a major effect here in our city. And I mentioned Ben Hoyer with his downtown Credo coffee shop and what he's doing. They've gathered numerous nonprofits and other groups to partner together, and they've made a difference here in Orlando. David Swanson at First Presbyterian, just about five blocks this way, who has helped spearhead the service towards the homeless, like the directives here in Orlando, I mean, he has made a huge difference, so much so that the city really looked to him to help kind of like solve this. We have so many homeless, we don't know what to do. They looked to the church for help, and David and others have helped lead that in Orlando. That is exciting. When culture says there's something broken here and who are the people that, that engage well with this and, and really love and serve and help fix things that are broken? Oh, it's the Christians. That is a great thing that that happened with David and how God has been using him in a and a number of other believers. So our finishing thought last week was that I believe that God does not want us to be swept along by the cultural current, but to live upstream where we help shape the cultural current, where we are bringing, you know, our best inspired by God to contribute in the arts, in music, medicine, community, science, media, you name it, wherever we're at, okay? 
So, recently I've been reading about um, just these cultural shapers and, and people that are having an influence, you know, presently. And in present-day culture, there's this new term that's kind of given to individuals that have credibility in a certain industry, and then they have access to a huge audience, and they can persuade others to act based on their recommendations. And they're call, they call themselves, the term is called influencers. Anybody heard this? You have. Okay, so a number of you have heard this term. I mean, this is a different world that we live in. I'd say five years ago, if someone said, I'm an influencer, we would say, okay, like, explain that, man. Um, but now there seems to be this term that we are all starting to understand that there are certain people that have an audience, and a lot of this happens through, like, online content. So, for example, this guy. Okay, how many know him? How many know this guy? Okay, so there's a few, right on. How many want to be like him? Well, there's a few. <laughs> Tyler Blevins, all right, is the name of this, this young guy. Um, he makes about a million dollars per month as a video gamer, all right, and he has this huge audience. Now, he and... Uh, this is hurt, like, as a parent. This hurts the whole, hey, kid, you're playing those video games? Never going to get anywhere that way. Can't make any money doing that. Well, this guy has ruined that for all of us adults, all right? Um, but he has this huge audience, and he has power to influence and convince others, and in his case, lots of young people to purchase certain products or to spend their money at a particular place. And so if you have something you're trying to provide for that age group, and you can get that guy to spend some time online and play it and talk about what he likes about it, it will sell. And people will follow his recommendations. So there's a tremendous amount of influence he has. Okay? So much so that even as he was talking about, um, at one point, he took a bunch of heat online because he said that he was not going to play video games with, he's married, said he was not going to play video games with other um, single women. And said, here's why. And, what, you know, and it was crazy that people were kind of like, what is wrong with you, and why would you not do that? And, and so amazing how just the way he operates in life, how that gets put out there, the influence that, that he's had. So, and he realized that he has a ton of young ears and eyes that, that watch him. So I'm sure there's a lot of other influencers for a myriad of specific products that you guys know about that are experts in their field and in social media and whatever. And it tends to be this fast track to gaining listeners. And the way it works is this. If there are eyeballs there, it equals what? Dollars. Eyeballs equal dollars. Okay? So, as... Christ followers in this world, God can use us to connect and influence others in a number of ways, also maybe within this medium. And so many of you are aware of, like how many now listen to pastors or teachers aside from me or John or Steve online? Okay. A huge amount. A huge amount. That is unusual. Or I would say was unusual maybe 10, 15 years ago. Now there you have access to some really awesome resources, and that's a really good thing. It's a really good thing. However, cannot overstate this. Nothing can replace real 
human, face-to-face, person-to-person interaction. Nothing. In a world where there is a ton of really good information available, okay, to us, why do we still have profound life change when we're sitting in Steve Reed's office, in a counselor's office, why does that happen there? When we have tons of information, we could listen to teachings that are so powerful, gifted communicators, influencers, all those things. Is it because that Steve or some counselor shared some incredible advice with you that just changed your perspective? Probably not. It's something much deeper that only occurs with real face-to-face, voice-to-voice, heart-to-heart human interaction. One of the first times I ever went to see a counselor, okay, it was years ago, and I've got to admit, it was a very strange and unusual experience for me. So I was driving there, it was about a 25-minute drive, and I remember thinking, this is so weird. I could not think of any time in my life I had been on the way to a meeting where the agenda was to help me. That was strange. It felt disorienting. I didn't even know what to think, but I was like, well, this is weird. I'm going to this time, and this person is meeting with me to help me. So I got there, and I just thought, I'm going to make the most of this time, and I'm going to be real. And so I poured my heart out, and it was, I was just a mess at that time. It was really bad. And I couldn't look at him even as I was sharing what was going through or what was going on in my life at the time. And I look up from him, or I look up from the ground kind of, and I look at him, and he did not need to say anything to me. Remember, this, is, this was the director of the counseling program at this seminary. There were tons of things and mountains of great advice that he could have given me. But none of that happened for the healing to begin. I looked up, and after kind of pouring my heart out, there were tears streaming down his face as he was listening to me. And that started this process of healing that, you know, to this day, it was a life changer. Connecting in that way with each other is counter-cultural. That is different. In today's culture, putting your phone down, looking each other in the eye, and engaging with each other with zero distraction is living counter to the culture. Because culture is not doing that anymore. And we are missing out. And Steve's right there if you want to start signing up right now to see him. (laughs) So as I mentioned over the centuries, okay, Jesus' followers have actually been the trend setters. Not the trend followers in major areas of cultural influence. So for example, first one we're going to look at is scientific discovery. Quite honestly, as I was doing my research, we could do an entire year's series highlighting the advancements in various scientific fields just from believers and theists, those who believe in God. It is literally a who's who of the greatest minds in history, and they were culture shapers of their generations. 
Here's a few of their names. John Philoponus. I just, that's the way I'm pronouncing it. Okay. It's Greek. Study the nature of light and stars. He criticized Aristotelian physics at that time. Okay, that was kind of the, what was held dear, and he challenged that. Robert Grisettist, considered the founder of scientific thought at Oxford, authored books on mathematical sciences of optics, astronomy, and geometry. He believed that experiments should be used to verify a theory. And for us, we're like, well, absolutely, of course. That was part of his doing. Again, someone who was following God. Now, today, it's really popular for us to hear and constantly communicated within the media that Christians are naive and non-scientific. How many have heard that? Okay, almost all of us have heard that Christians are non-scientific, okay? What that really exposes is a lack of knowledge of scientific history and how we got where we are today. Something I'm sure you guys have noticed, like when it comes to our mode of information now and our resource with the internet is that you can communicate untruth like really quickly to the masses and it gets out there really fast. And if you say something loud enough and often enough, people will believe it. And so that unfortunately has been communicated as nauseam in college classrooms and in the media and that is if you're a Christian, you're not scientific. It's not accurate and it displays a historical like lack of knowledge in scientific inquiry. Let me support that statement a little bit. Roger Bacon, scientist, lived in the 1200s, was an influencer in those times in optics and mechanics and geography. He promoted empiricism, which was that experience and evidence was really important. He's one of the earliest advocates of the modern scientific method. Also responsible for pushing this concept of the laws of nature. This is Bacon, who was a theist. Listen to these names. You may have heard them before. Copernicus, Kepler, Descartes, Pascal, Boyle, Newton, Kelvin, Planck, the founder of quantum mechanics. Oh, I'd love to have that on my resume. Jim Porman, the founder of quantum mechanics. Bruno, this Italian cosmologist, he argued that the earth revolved around the sun and that other worlds also revolved around other suns and stars against what the present day scientists believed back then. Francis Collins, the director of the Human Genome Project, wrote The Language of God, A Scientist Presents Evidence for Belief. And then you have Stephen Meyer and Michael Behe and William Dembski, all molecular bi biologists. Here's who we're talking when it comes to Christian's scientific history. We're talking multiple Nobel Peace Prize winners, Templeton Prize winners, the Copley Medal, the Royal Medal, the Wollaston Medal. The Templeton Prize winner for physics this year is a Christian. This year. Mathematicians, theoretical physicists, astrophysicists, professors at Oxford, Harvard, Yale, the greatest schools in the world. That is true and accurate. And here's what's so interesting about these culture shapers that I've just mentioned, is that they questioned the culture of the day and lived counter to it. And we have them to thank for some of the most important discoveries in history. That's just a 
small, like that is a tiny list of the scientific minds that have shaped science over the centuries. And here's what's really cool about it. They were motivated by their love and desire, listen to this, to learn more about their creator. That drove them to live counter to the culture. I want to share a little bit about a professor right now who is living counter to the culture and how he's experiencing that, okay? Um, and how this can be painful and challenging, but also extremely courageous in living counter to the culture, okay? Um, many of those great minds that I just mentioned were criticized sharply by their peers. That now we look back and say, wow, they were the real trailblazers. But right now there's a professor, David Gerlertner, and here's a picture of him. Um, he is a professor of computer science at Yale, and he's denounced evolution as an improbable scientific theory. And so in a recent article, he explains why Darwin's origin of species is exactly what Darwin cannot explain. And so without getting into all of his reasons, this Yale professor has kind of exposed and talked about this interesting cultural barrier that is prevalent and that he's dealing with. And so I'm just going to read this directly um, from this article that quotes him. He recounted in a July 6 interview with the Hoover Institution that his public rejection of Darwinism is taken among many of his colleagues as a personal existential threat. Although his fellow academics remain his friends and are courteous to him, he noted, when I look at their intellectual behavior, what they publish, and much more important, what they tell their students, Darwinism has indeed passed beyond a scientific argument. He continued, as far as they are concerned, take your life in your hands to challenge it intellectually. They will destroy you if you challenge it. What I've seen in their behavior intellectually and at colleges across the West is nothing approaching free speech on this topic. It's a bitter rejection, a sort of bitter, fundamental, angry, outraged, violent rejection which comes nowhere near scientific of, of intellectual discussion. I've seen that happen again and again. I'm a Darwinist. Don't you say a word against it or I don't want to hear it, period. I'm attacking their religion, he added. It's a big issue for them. This is someone that is living counter to the culture and believes the evidence has led him there, and this is what he is dealing with. He's the author of Muse in the Machine and the novel 1939. He's also known for predicting kind of the emergence of the World Wide Web. He's a pretty smart dude, okay? Kind of saw some things coming. This brings me to a really important point for us as Jesus followers. Living counter to the culture will at times be difficult. It's going to cause us pain. It may even hurt our progress in today's culture in some ways. It may mean that you don't go along with the crowd, that you question what's fed to you on campus, that you put Christ-like character ahead of getting ahead in your field, and that you won't compromise your convictions for profit. Those things all are a challenge. I have a friend who worked for a large corporation. He knew that there were a ton of people in his division that took advantage of their company for the tune of thousands per year. As a Christian, 
and as someone who was going to live counter to the culture in that workspace, he was not going to do that. And he said, he said, Jim, there's times when it's tough when I know that there's a bunch of other families going on vacations and doing other things and buying things from the money that they have stolen from our company. But I can't do that. And so it's costly. And at the same time, it's living counter to the culture. Well, that professor, Gerlertner, is he going to like deal with some ramifications of the stand that he's taking from his colleagues? You bet. He probably will. Will he get nominated for some awards, as many awards as he would have this year? Probably not. Those are some of the things that happen. Let's move on to the arts. How about music? For centuries, when it came to art, music, sculpture, often the greatest talents that had the most to offer were funded by the established church at the time. And a lot of that was the Roman Catholic Church that owned property and had money um, and power and land. Not all of that was the best. However, for many artists, the church simply provided the funds for them to grow their gifts and to honor God with their talents. So I went to a concert, um, gosh, it was a while ago, it was on the campus of Bowling Green, and I went to this large men's chorus concert, okay? And I'm expecting, you know, I mean, I'm expecting this choral concert. I don't really know what I was expecting, to be honest, but about... 15 minutes in, I was kind of in shock. I'm like, well, here we are at this public institution, and this, all these songs are about Jesus, like all of them. It's like this worship service, and I'm almost, as a Christian even, I'm like a little bit uncomfortable. Like, what? A, who is letting this happen here? And so at the end, one of my buddies who was in it, that's why I was there at the concert, I asked him, and I was like, um, man, come here, come here. That was like a huge worship service, you know? And why all the Jesus music, you know? And he was like, he looked at me like I was nuts, you know? And he's like, because it's all the best stuff, Jim. Really. Like, there's nothing close. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? He was like, oh, all the best compositions and arrangements, they're all sacred works. And that's what we're always going to do. There's nothing better than this for choral arrangements and everything else. And I'm just like, oh, okay, gotcha. For centuries, these followers of Christ were these cultural shapers, and they were committed to excellence in their field. The greatest musicians, the greatest painters, the greatest architects, there was this fuel to glorify God. How many have been to Europe? Been to Europe, been to cathedrals. Okay, awe-inspiring, isn't it? You walk in, you see the art and the architecture, it's awe-inspiring. That was a reflection of the people of God who valued art and its beauty and how it pointed to God. As one contemporary artist put this, he said, Christians making art need to be concerned with two main things, excellence in their craft, offering our work to God for His glory and an imitation of Christ, the prime artist for by him the scriptures say everything was made. When you are creative, you are really reflecting the image of God as your creator. And so as Jesus followers, we have an opportunity and a responsibility and a privilege to honor him with our excellence. 2 Timothy 1.6 through seven says this, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Fan into flame the gift you have to cultivate our gifts, our desires, and our talents to glorify Him. That, too, is counter to the culture. Most want to use their gifts or their talent to glorify themselves. But for us as Jesus followers to have a heart to honor God with our best, that is living counter to the culture. So, for example, like with Carrie and, and Jesse, um, Laura, Yeah, I was just, I'm completely blanking for a minute. Savannah, I mean, I was looking at Savannah, and I was like, Savannah, like, we have people that are leading us in worship, um, but they're not here to bring glory to themselves. They don't practice so that we can say, oh, wow, that's so great. They do that because they want to honor God. And they want to help us connect with God. That is what God is after with us too. There are artists today who are driven by their desire to honor God and reflect Him to the world. That's living counter to the culture. So whether it's Bono or Mumford and Sons or Lecrae, there are Jesus followers out there that are taking this seriously and are helping to shape culture. In finishing here, God is calling us to engage. Like our brothers and sisters in Jesus, in the science realm, in the arts, in music, whatever to pursue excellence and reflect his creative abilities and to be upstreamers here in Orlando. I want to encourage you guys. And I think God desires this for us, that we would cultivate our gifts to contribute to his mission and honor him by being excellent in using our gifts. Let's pray. God, we desire to live counter to this culture. We know that you have called us, specifically those that know you in this room, and you have endowed us with certain gifts. Lord, we desire to use those to bring honor and glory to you with excellence, the way thousands upon thousands of your followers over the years have, who have contributed mightily to culture. Some of the greatest discoveries, God, you have led them in that path. They were driven by a love and a knowledge and a desire to get to know you, your creative, powerful self. And so, God, we ask that we would walk in that, that you would use us in those ways, that you would grow us in those areas so that we could shape culture, that we would influence the world, that we would be in the world but not of the world. And we pray this in your name. Amen. So we're going to head into a time here where we're going to um, share in communion together. And this, too, is living counter to the culture. As a non-Christian, this is something that I never did. Didn't take time to break bread and remember something, but God calls us to do this as a community and individually to spend time focusing and remembering 
that he paid a death penalty for us, that he died on the cross, something we deserved, and then shed his blood, offering forgiveness freely to us. And then he says, take time throughout your busy weeks and your busy schedules from here on out, wherever you're at, together, where there's two or more, do this, and don't forget that I did this for you. That's counter to the culture. There's a lot of people right now at this hour that it's the last thing they would ever think of. And yet God has asked us to do that. And so we're going to do that together as we sing these next few songs. Um, We have two tables here and then one kind of more towards the back. Go ahead and take the bread and one of those cups. And then anytime during these three songs, feel free then to take the bread symbolizing Jesus' body, which was broken for you, and to drink the cup, symbolizing his blood that was shed for your forgiveness. If maybe you're sitting here and you're not a Christian um, and, and you'd really just prefer to sit back, go ahead and do that. Maybe even ask. You could ask us, wait, what was that thing about where you guys shared in this together? Um, If you have questions about what communion is and why we do this, feel free to ask us. We're just glad that you're here and get to be a part of this with us too. So thanks. Let's pray. God, thank you that you died for us. We have a death penalty because of our sin. The wages of sin is death. We've earned it. And yet you didn't want that for us. You willingly paid the price so that we could be set free. It's amazing. Thank you for your love for us. In Christ's name, amen.